wealth management today primarily is still not very cool. Mm. It's still seen as manual, a lot of friction, expensive. And again, as that young person said, it's sold by dudes in suits. It's no longer a zero-sum game. They think, oh, it's all humans are all digital. They're understanding our humans need some digital. They can't have zero. The perception of digital in wealth has changed dramatically, yeah. When Ned Phillips started at E-Trade back in the 90s, people didn't understand why anyone would need an advisor to be on the internet when you could just pick up a phone and call one. Being able to access the market online is what made E-Trade cool. Fast forward to today, and all the cool kids are using Robinhood, Acorns, and other mobile apps. Their expectations are set by the experiences they get through their phones. I spoke with Ned about how his company is building digital channels for wealth management firms, how AI can be harnessed to improve client relationships, and why Asia-based super apps will soon take over the world on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Thanks for joining me here in the wonderful world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz. I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We are experts in everything related to wealth tech. We deliver growth-oriented solutions to banks, broker-dealers, asset managers, and their technology providers through our advice and research. And on this very podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. And please subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It will really help us out a lot. And on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, I'm happy to announce uh, I have Ned Phillips, founder and CEO of Bamboo. Hey, Ned, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. How are you? Brilliant. Thank you for asking. It's uh, lovely here in New Jersey, and it's 9 o'clock at night, so it's pitch black out, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning for you in lovely Singapore. That is correct. It's, uh, I have been living in Singapore almost 30 years and doing U.S. calls and sales pitches, so I almost instinctively know whether it's night or exact time for the people I'm speaking to over there. So, yes, your night, my morning. Right. Yeah, and I've got some Singapore uh, business we, we, we work on, so I'm, I'm used to making these 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and later calls. It's, uh, it's a little bit rough, but I'm, I haven't been a night owl, so it works, it works good for me. Can you give uh, the audience a 30-second uh, elevator pitch for Bamboo? Of course. So for audiences, let's say whether you're in America or Europe or Asia, You've heard of Betterment or Wealthfront or Scalable or Nutmeg or out here in Singapore, Stashaway. They are what we call robo-advisors, B2C robo-advisors. We are Bamboo. We design and build those for banks. So we're a pure B2B firm and really our elevator pitch to our clients is, do you need to have your own robo-advisor like the new ones you see in the market? If the answer is yes, we are the team that can build that for you. So we've learned that that needed to be our elevator pitch because we used to say things like, 
with B2B and wealth tech and digital advisory and people are like, can you build me a betterment? I'm like, yes, we can do that for you. So we're a four-year-old company. We've worked with about 20 different organizations globally. And we proudly have said that we've had clients on every continent apart from Antarctica, where wealth management <laughs> is not that much in need. <laughs> not yet, at least. Not at the moment. The world is changing, so who knows, Craig? Right, exactly. And well, so one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is we, we've actually got a lot of listeners in Singapore, and we peaked at the number 11 fintech news podcast in Singapore, I think it was in May. So it's up and down, but we hit number 11, so it's almost top 10. So I wanted to get more Singapore firms on the podcast to, to serve this audience. So thanks for, for, for joining me. What's interesting, uh, and I've, I've actually followed your firm a bit. I, I, heard, I saw you on Benzinga and um, some other conferences you're at. And I was really interested about the platform you build. So what is it? Is there a difference in how banks see digital advice now versus when you started the company? Yeah, Craig. Well, look, I'll do all I can to get you up to number 10 by giving some insightful comments. So we'll see what we can. Oh, right. We'll see what we can do there. If not, I'll edit it out so it sounds insightful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> so just to get, also just to, to answer the question from a bamboo perspective, but also perhaps from a personal perspective. So uh, I've been in fintech 25 years. So I'm not, you know, not trying to sound grandiose, but I when I started at E-Trade in the 90s, we didn't think of ourselves as fintech. We just thought, oh, we can put broking online. And in the 90s, it seemed that it sounded a bit strange. Why, why does broking need to be online? We have brokers. But clearly today, fast forward 25 years, and somebody actually said to me, uh, well, I'm 53, Craig, so a what I call a young person, but a real young person in the 20s said, E-Trade? Was that one of the legacy brokers from long, long ago? And I felt, <laughs> he was like, you mean like Robin Hood, but before. And I was like, no, no, E-Trade is cool, or used to be cool. But the reason I mentioned that is wealth management today primarily is still not very cool. It's still seen as manual, a lot of friction, expensive. And again, as that young person said, it's sold by dudes in suits. Now, maybe that was five years ago. And what we're definitely seeing now is that, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of whether it's a betterment or a wealth front or well, simple, scalable. People who come into the market, not just at mass retail, but we see up to personal capital. And when we started four years ago, Craig, I would phone up these, and when I say banks, I mean the word financial institutions, be they wealth managers, asset managers, RIAs, banks. And I would say, you need digital. They're like, do we? Really? You think so? Why? And they kind of understood it and they could see it changing. But in these short four years, Craig, we haven't made an outgoing sales call for a year. We only have incoming now. So the change that we see, mm. and obviously partly it's the new world we find ourselves in now, but even before that, to your question, do they look at it differently? Yes, because it's no longer a zero sum game. Like they think, oh, it's all humans are all digital. They're understanding our humans need some digital. They can't have zero. That's the biggest change. It used to be, oh, we can just have an advisor. Now it's my advisor needs some digital. I might not get him to 100%. So I truly think in the last four or five years, the perception of digital in wealth has changed dramatically, yeah. And we're seeing the same thing here. So it's, it's interesting to, to hear that. And it, it is becoming more table stakes when firms are realizing. It's sort of, I, I see it similar to how a website was 10 or 15 years ago where a lot of firms 
so a website is not really that important, especially on the advisory business side. Um, and it, it's it's similar like online yeah. online banking. Like our analogy is, ten years ago, if your bank had online banking, that was pretty cool. Today, the idea that your bank wouldn't have online banking is unthinkable. And I think wealth management is in that process as well. But your your point is valid that that a lot of firms still don't see that it's not a zero sum game. Uh, it's not an all or nothing between digital and human. There's hybrid and firms like Personal Capital and, and Vanguard and others are now realizing hybrid uh, seems like a more sustainable way to, to build that type of business. I think, Craig, like to me, whoever named it, and Craig, if you know them, you're obviously a very experienced person. You can tell me I'd love <laughs> to have a, bit, a, a drink with them or a coffee with them. Who named it mm-hmm. Robo Advisor? Because it's the wrong mm-hmm. name. The word Robo Advisor I think leads people to this binary idea. Oh, it's a robot that gives advice. So therefore the human's out of a job. Like I think the name, and I know, you know, there's a lot of, I quite often say we're digital wealth or B2B tech and people go, oh, you build robo advisors. And I think it is just the kind of, the naming of the sector itself hasn't helped the image and people believe it's binary. Well, you're right, it's not binary, right? We all have some digital in our lives and wealth should be no different. That's true. I don't know who did it, uh, if I if I did, I'd probably want to beat them over the head with something hard because it's, it's no everyone hates the name, uh, but we're stuck with it because that's what everyone calls it. But so you you started in Singapore and was there? I mean, obviously you, you lived there, so that's the best place to start it. But did you see Singapore as having an advantage versus starting your firm in, in another location? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, Craig, there is just the realities. I've you know while I'm from the UK originally. I moved out to Asia in the 90s, so 30 years ago, sometime in Hong Kong I spent, and then I've been in Singapore the past 18 years. Like Singapore has really, so I was on a podcast the other day and, and the debate was, what is the FinTech hub of the world? And I was in Singapore, one person in London, one person in San Fran, and of course we all fought our own corners. We all, it was not a, an unbiased debate and I cannot claim to be an unbiased uh, surveyor of the FinTech scene. But like in the last five years, what the Singapore government and the Singapore regulators have done is simply say to us this, we encourage you to experiment. We encourage you to try. We will help you. Even the government has stood up here and said that fintech is now a sector in their economy, along with, you know, import, export, tourism, finance, et cetera. And, you know, we, we have one great challenge in Singapore. We only have six million people. But we have one great advantage is that our infrastructure from government to funding to people skills is amazing. And around us, we have, I'm going to say half the world's population. I don't know if that's entirely correct, but with India and China and Indonesia. So for me, it was the combination of I've been here. I think the other point is, Craig, look, at 51, I started it, I was 49 and I'm B2B. So I'm trying to sell. So like, for example, some of our clients and investors are Franklin Templeton, HSBC, Standard Chartered, because I'm old and at these institutions, other old people, our clients won't like me calling them old, but other people who I, when you're selling B2B, you have to have a contact list. So if I suddenly moved to London and was like, hi, I'm Ned, I'm trying to sell, you know, FinTech to the decision makers, they don't know me, right? And that's a, that's a reality. So, you know, the infrastructure, the fact I was here and the fact I've been 25 years here, yeah, you really, it wouldn't make sense for me to start anywhere else, Craig, honestly. Indeed. Now, landing at investors like HSBC and Standard Charter, how did you convince them 
that this was something they needed to invest in? It's a good question. So when we started Bamboo, I was introduced. So there's this rule in fintech, you're told, never do a startup with a founder you just met. Because if you don't know them, it's not going to work, right? Well, at Bamboo, me and my <laughs> co-founder, Aki, uh, we were introduced by a gentleman. And he said, you two would be great together because he is everything I'm not. He is, well, he's younger. He's 40 now. He thinks he's still a millennial. I keep telling him he's not. Um, but he is a, a computer engineering graduate. Mm. He is a thinker. He's from Finland, so they don't speak so much there. They believe in less words, more thinking. He's visionary tech, fantastic. I'm the opposite. I'm not a believer in thinker, in thinking. I'm a sales mm. guy. I like to run around, wave my hands randomly in the air, and I believe things will happen. So what we realized was he built I sell. Of course, I think a little bit, he sells a little bit. But so I think when we came to talk to the institutions, you know, like you know, that, that we sold to HSBC, Standard Chartered, Franklin, I think we, could, we started to build a combination of, like the average age at Bamboo is pretty young, Craig. We're not full of old people like me. We're full of, you know, 20-year-olds. And I think what we presented was a pretty innovative approach. We didn't turn up and say we're an investment company. So, Craig, one of the things I think we've seen a lot is a lot of robos turn up to institutions and say, hey, we can build you a portfolio. Let us tell you how to manage money. And they're like, hold on, we've been managing money for 50 years. What are you doing? We turned up and said, hey, we can show you how to make technology work for you. Your technology, you're not harnessing it. We're the, and literally, Craig, we had hoodies, you know, you know teams in hoodies, startup space. We used AI, you know, machine learning, real tech. And I think that was part of what, and again, I can't speak totally for our clients, but we tried to present this. We're not trying to teach you how to invest money because we know you can do that. But we truly believe we have some different thoughts around how you should use technology. And I think that's what we've always focused on at Bamboo. And that's what worked for us. You talk about some of your other investors. So the one that piqued my interest was Peak Six which is also owner of Apex Clearing, which is very high tech, very forward thinking, uh, very plugged into the FinTech uh, digital advice uh, vendors. So how, how do you find that relationship helping you to grow? It's, um, it's amazing, seriously. Four years ago, four and a half years ago, when we started this company, you know, we, you know, to, to be honest, we didn't know who P6 were. We knew who Apex were, of course. But you know, like anything in a startup, it's a mixture of planning and luck. And the piece of luck that we had about a year ago was Bill Capuzzi, who is the CEO of Apex, was introduced by a mutual friend of mine. And we were in New York, we had breakfast, and we were keen to integrate to Apex. Like you said, they have a digital infrastructure, they're working with the new disruptors of wealth. We really, because we were trying to break into the US. And we had breakfast with Bill and he was like, hey, sure, we can talk about uh, uh, integrating by the way, are you raising money? And we were. And he said, have you heard of Peak Six? And shamefully, we had not. And he made the introduction. <laughs> you know, that company is, you know, obviously well-known. Like yourself, Craig, you know Wealthtech, you know Apex, you'll know Peak Six. It's been amazing. Like the, the relationship for us with Apex, it's exactly what we want to do, right? We want to connect to these types of infrastructure players who are digital. And Peak Six themselves, obviously they have a range of investments, different sectors. But for us, being both strategic and financial. And so we're fully integrated to Apex now. We have our technology called Bamboo Go available to advisors in the US. 
Apex, we talk to them all the time. We're now doing some more work with them. And honestly, Pig Six has helped us and cheered us on all the way. We got, it was one of those lucky breaks. Like, and we nearly missed the meeting. Honestly, Craig, there was a window to have breakfast <laughs> with Bill. And we, How would that have changed your life? You know, I'm a huge believer in karma and it is what it is, right? And Bill could only make this 8 a.m. breakfast. He had something booked. We had to make, and we moved a flight. We moved our flight to leave New York. And my co-founder said to me, Ned, we're, we're, we're not flying out tonight. We're, we're moving it to tomorrow. We're having breakfast with Bill. I don't know. You know, honestly, Craig, I'm sure Bamboo would still be here, but we wouldn't have met Peak Six. We wouldn't have done that Apex deal. And yeah, our life would have been different. It'd be a different, be a different Bamboo. It would be because now, you know, we have got a few clients in America. So we're obviously working with Franklin, but we've got... Uh, four different clients in America. One is live. Apex is helping us tremendously. Yeah, it would have been different, but that's you know that's that's part of the startup journey as well. It's part. It's all part. It's a lot of serendipity and a lot of you know you got to be in the right place at the right time. Although I think it was a baseball coach who said, "The harder I work, the luckier I get." Like we believe, we mm-hmm. say, meet everybody, talk to everybody, do everything. You know, wealth tech. Wealth management is changing beyond all recognition right now. Mm-hmm. And the old school way of doing it isn't going to work. Like Craig, I mean, you see it, you've been involved in it for ages, right? I mean, mm-hmm. is, is it changing more rapidly than you've ever thought? To me, it is. Oh, sure. Well, the pace, I've written about this, and this is not my, my statement, but the, it's the, the pace of change is accelerating all the time. And what, what did I, I, I was quoted as saying something, which I actually was just repeating something that someone else said where it was the, the pace of change today, the pace of change will never be as slow as, as it is today. Ah, okay, yes. Right. So, so the, pa- the pace, I mean, of, the change pace is- of change will continue to accelerate. So if you think it's fast today, wait till next year. It's going to be even faster. It's going to be even faster. Right? So you know, the adoption rates are, are speeding up. The ability of firms to adopt technology, when we, we, I just posted an article where the title was uh, te- A Decade of Digital Transformation in Just 90 Days. Ha! Now that, you see, that's the type, and whether, Craig, that was meant to be clickbait to a degree, but the reality is this. I really like that, in that we have seen, so in these last three months in particular, the amount of inquiries coming to us is incredible. Like, Mm -hmm. people, and again, partly, obviously, driven by what's happening, but I think in wealth management, I mean, you know, and this is not our statement, but it's been said before, if you're standing still in wealth management today, that's, I think that's pretty much it for you. Yeah, you, you need to keep moving. And that's what, what's holding back a lot of, what will hold back firms. And it's, it's, I don't think it's necessarily wealth, just wealth management. It's every industry where you can't sit still. Because every industry yeah. is, is, is using technology way more than they thought they would. And there's more disruptive forces coming that they don't see. If they saw them, they wouldn't be disruptive. And, and this is the, so there's, so in Asia, so, we have some companies in Asia that in the US you would have heard of, obviously, uh, Alibaba and Tencent. But out mm-hmm. here we have two super apps called Grab and Gojek, which started like Ubers but have moved into all types. They're getting into wealth management. Everybody, you know, to me, you know, is it disruptive when one bank launches a robo compared to another bank? Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's disruptive a bit. But what, you know, Alibaba has their wealth, their money market tool called Yuobao which means mm-hmm. leftover treasure, where they swept the cash from the wallet 
into a money market fund. Quarter of a trillion of AUM, largest money market fund in the world in two years. That is disruptive. Sweeping yes. miniature amounts from your wallet when you buy a coffee. The disruption, like to me, here's the key point. If you're a large asset manager and you don't have a person whose job it is to distribute your funds to a tech company, you're already too far down the rung of the innovation stakes. It's not just keeping up with your peers. Your neighbors are building crazy different wealth management tools 24-7. And in Asia, driven by the super app mentality, that's what it's helped us a lot. Like being in Singapore, Craig, that's what's helping fintech here. The super apps are driving everything from wealth tech to e-payments, you know, you know, whether it's you know, what was blockchain, but just regular, like it, it doesn't even have to be crazy innovative to work. And the take up is in the multi-millions. And I, I think it's great. I'm going to take a break from this episode to talk about one of our sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is a charitable organization that raises money to recognize advisors who are making a difference by donating their time and money and expertise to causes that matter to them. They share their stories and award funding to different organizations that they care about, they raise awareness, and they encourage others to get involved, uh, involved channeling additional resources to those in need and demonstrating the generosity of the financial advice industry. I'm involved with this organization. I'm uh, fortunate enough to be on some of the judging committees that help decide uh, where some of the money goes. And it's really, really tough. I have to tell you, some of these charities uh, are doing some incredible work, uh, both here in the United States and around the world. I would encourage everyone to go to investinothers.org, read about what they're doing, look into it, uh, see if maybe you can nominate an advisor you know who's doing some charitable work and make a donation, it all goes to a great cause, the Invest in Others Foundation. Yeah, I've written in the past also that I see wealth management being taken over by apps because apps, the apps like, um, or mobile-based um, wealth tools, whether and they all come at in a different way. And firms like Acorns, uh, Stash, and Money Lion, you know, they, they see the world differently than traditional wealth management does. And traditional wealth management sees clients as somebody you talk to once a quarter or a couple times a year. And if they're calling you more, that's annoying. And why are they doing it? And it's a problem. They're upset. They shouldn't do that. Whereas that's really no business in the world works that way. Uh, every other business in the world says, I want to talk to you more. You're my customer. Tell what, what else can I do for you? What else can yeah, I sell you? But Craig, and that's only eight points. But, but the interesting point is this. And so this is our experience, Craig, in how this has happened. When we pitch, when we talk to financial institutions, they have a question. And the question is this, how can technology help me sell more products? When we speak to super apps, they say, how can we keep the customer in our ecosystem? They don't care what products they sell. They're not there to sell products. And here's the thing. How many people wake up every morning and think, I'd like to buy a balanced equity portfolio today? You don't. You wake up and think, I want a better financial life. And Craig, you nailed it. You don't want to speak to your advisor because you think he's going to sell you a product. What you just want is a better financial life. And I think as long as banks keep asking, how can technology help me sell more products? 
they're building the wrong things in the super apps. Craig, four years ago, it was my pitch. You need a robo because a super app, a mobile app will sell wealth. And four years ago, everyone laughed at me. They're like, Ned, don't be silly. Today, everybody believes it. Are they, are they adjusting to it? I don't know, but that, you're right. Wealth, advisors will survive and they will flourish, but not if, not if, they, not if they ignore what's happening. But only a small percentage. They're, they're going to be like um, uh, Michael Keats, you may know, uh, he's a, uh, a big industry guru in the U.S., uh, did a presentation where he showed how travel agents declined when the Internet took off. But not all of them disappeared. About three quarters of them disappeared. But the quarter who were left quadrupled their revenue. Wow. By leveraging technology. So he was proposing that the same thing could happen to advisors. It's a similar type of interaction where that was that would happen. And I think I think that's that could happen. I can tell I can one hundred percent tell advisors how to be in the bottom twenty five percent. So I'm actually I like gambling. I'm a big believer in odds. So for any advisor, if you want to be in the bottom twenty five percent, don't do anything. If you have no digital, keep doing that. And I can guarantee you, you're in the bottom 25%. To be in the middle 50%, and I don't know if it, Michael will probably tell me I'm completely wrong, so I'm just making that up. Just do something. Because by doing something, listening to podcasts, understanding what digital is, looking at what's around you, you know, you know whether your website, you're going digital, looking and not just presuming what you know, taking those next steps, and it's not that hard, you're already above the bottom 25%. To be in the very top and quadruple your revenue, yes, it's going to take more work. But, you know, for quadruple revenue, it's going to be worth it, right? Indeed. I, I know there was another company, um, a marketing firm called Snappy Kraken. And they did a survey of, of, uh, of successful marketing campaigns. And their report showed, here's what you need to do to be in the top 25% of advisory firms that are successful in their marketing. And we don't see enough of that peer review data to say, here's what you need to do to get here. It's a lot of do this to be successful, do that to be successful. But I will, you know, there's enough data out there to say step-by-step step what you should have to do to become successful um, in so whatever industry you're in. The very last conference I was at before COVID happened was in March in Miami. And I stood, I had a small startup booth next to Snappy Kraken. So I was standing next to the Snappy Kraken guys and I was looking oh, at what they did. That's funny. So I had my little startup yeah. booth. So this was a, this was called the BISA event. The, was quite a large, correct. BISA, yeah. So we, it was like all of the big players there with their big booths. And it was like eight of us little startup guys uh, with our little, you know, small little pop-up booths. And I was next to Snappy Kraken. Mm-hmm. What I noticed was this there was like an invisible line in front of our booths where people were scared to step over because then they'd have to talk about something that was weird and different mm-hmm. and new. And I didn't, none of us, none mm-hmm. of us had suits on yeah. and we looked different. And mm-hmm. on the other side was safe land, right. which was everybody, you know, and I understand it too. <laughs> We're all humans of kind of habit and you know, what's, mm-hmm. and you're right. I thought snappy Kraken's product was great. But, and again, I say this with all due respect to Snappy Kraken. Was it, you know, AI, go to the moon, change the world stuff? No, it was really good technology. 
built beautifully that could really help advisors. But what I noticed was only a certain number of advisors would step up to our little startup booths and talk to the crazy guys standing there. And mm -hmm. once they did, you know, what's Snappy Kraken doing? The guys on my left were saying, please just use LinkedIn better. So the other booth to my left was, please just use LinkedIn better. That's all we're going to do. Is that AI? Is that crazy robo advisor world? It's not. And you'd probably be closer to the top 25%. So maybe it's, you know, what I saw in reality was that invisible line. It's safer to stay in the world. But that world of safe margins, manual paperwork, leg, you know, slow onboarding time. And here's the other point. You said, I used to be a financial advisor. So before I started a long time ago, I was, you're right. I, you call your top clients regularly, no one else ever gets a call, right? And that model mm -hmm. in the world of digital is just, just can't survive, right? Well, you, you did that because you couldn't scale. With digital, you can scale. So you can afford to, you can deliver great experience to all of your clients because it's done and, through an algorithm. And in Asia, software. so the difference that we're seeing in Asia is that investing with RIAs is not common. There are financial advice, but we don't have that investment mentality. So most right. people today are coming to investment for the first time. So they come mobile, they come digital. They're like, this is how it should be. And so what mm -hmm. I think there's a big difference. Clearly America yeah. is the world's leading investment culture, if I may say, from investment to stock. I think you have the highest level mm -hmm. of fund ownership, stock ownership, you know, RIAs, an amazing market. But because of that, you've got challenges because you've got something that works but you've got something that needs to change. The biggest difference in Singapore and Asia. So in Indonesia, 350 million people, the last kind of recorded number was a quarter of a million of them own a mutual fund. So if you think about that, quarter? Yeah, correct, kind of, out of 350 million. So, but here's the difference, you know, they can get 6% in the bank on deposits. So I think the biggest difference we see in Asia, Asia in wealth management is that this mobile first, digital first, for first time investors is absolutely driving it. Whereas in the US, it's a change from legacy to digital. Well, also in different Asian countries, I'm sure you know this, that they, they invest differently. You know, in, in, in Japan, it's more fixed income, whereas in China, it's more equity driven. You know, it's just, it's more, it's, it's part, of, part of culture of how they, they see the world. Are they more risk takers? Like you said, you're more of a risk taker. Or are they more stable yeah, so in, conservative? So, uh, in, in Japan, yeah, and, and, so the, I, I believe yeah. this is correct. The largest holder of assets in the world, or one of them, is the Japan post office. So you put your money in the post office. In hmm. China, yes, they're willing to, they're more trading mentality. And in India, it's gold. Physical gold is the number one. So you're right. It's very different where people will hold their wealth. What I want to talk about, um, we, we mentioned briefly AI and, and uh, in passing, I want to talk more about it. I'm really interested in, uh, I, I, everyone should go check out uh, Bamboo's website, but I'm interested in okay. your dashboard. The Can you talk a little bit about that and how you guys are using AI uh, in, in, with your product to make it, to, to differentiate? Sure, 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 of course. So when we started the firm, what we realized is we didn't want to just be, 
you know, we're not going to be this firm that says, let us build you a, um, let us just be this firm that says to you, this is the right new type of portfolio. So thematic portfolio or these types, right? We said, we're a technology firm. The reason we, and we wanted to do that by saying, what can we harness in technology? So the, the newest and the latest way of deploying, you know, from the way we do our microservices, our API. So our technology stack, we wanted to be leading edge. Separately, the quirky bit of the business is that, or, or, or my history is that my father, my dad, has been in neural networks and AI since the 60s. So my dad started wow. in, in uh, neural network science in the 60s. He is still incredibly passionate about it today and has worked with many of the greats, Jeff Hinton and Wolf Singer, and still talks a lot about it. And my co-founder, Aki Rannan, as mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is a great thinker, really understands a lot about AI and really wanted to do two main things with it is, Number one is, can we use data and AI to help people achieve their financial goals? So the biggest challenge of investing is the how and the why. You know, the how is quite easy. How do I invest? You take your money, you buy a fund. But why? Why am I saving for retirement? How, why do other people do it? How do I, you know, why, why can I, how can I achieve that goal? And so that's part of our AI is helping people achieve their goals. We also then realized that we could use, so the dashboard you talk about, which is called Intelligent Advisor, we realized that while we could use AI to help the masses, and this is the biggest problem, wealth management. So most, most wealth managers don't know the goal of their client. They know that their client holds one of their funds, but did they achieve their goal? They don't know. So that's part of a lot of what we do. The one that you, but then we also realized in the private banking world, this might sound crazy, but it's even more unsophisticated. They have so much data. And when we talk to the private banking world, so we started working with Refinitiv, Thomson Reuters. They said, how can you harness AI to take the masses amounts of data a relationship manager has and create instant talking points? So the dashboard that you see on our website is a tool that we built for Refinitiv to say, the greatest challenge is too much data, not too little data. And how can we synthesize that data down so that a relationship manager who might have 30 seconds to talk to a client, how can we bring up instant talking points around a range of preset themes? We look at momentum, sentiment, quality, value. And how can we then put together instant talking points so a relationship manager is not lost in reams of data and and again, shows on our website, they can instantly get a talking point and sound intelligent. I don't want to say private bankers are not intelligent. I don't want to say financial advisors are not. I have been one. But mm -hmm. the reality is, how do you get the right information at the right time? And that's what we've tried to work with that dashboard. And currently, it's also being used uh, by Standard Chartered as well. Yeah, I like that because that seems to be a differentiator in me. Uh, I'm I have, a, I have a computer science background, so I, I, I'm always more interested in the, in the data behind the business uh, and how you're using it because it's, I've never seen it being used well. And it's, 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 it's rarely done, as you say, to provide instant talking points. And I'm seeing more of it now, but it's still it's not working really well. How are you making it work better? One of the things that we got lucky with was this. When we started this project with Refinitiv, they brought to us 12 CEOs of private banks. 
And we said to them, what is the, what is the problem with your RMs? And they said this one statement. They said, Our RMs don't say the right thing at the right time. Then we took the CEOs out the room and we brought 12 of the relationship managers in the room and said, what is your problem? And they said, we don't have the data at our hands to say the right things at the right time. So we got really lucky that we got this incredibly synthesized problem statement mm -hmm. from people who would pay us to do it. Right. Literally, it came to that. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. we spent a few hours in the room with them and we got to iterate this product with the people who are actually doing it. And the other thing we got lucky with was that on our early team of 12 people, so this product was built by 20-year-olds. It was built by a couple of guys who really have no experience in finance. And the greatest thing was they didn't come with any preset ideas. They didn't walk in the room with, oh, this is how private mm -hmm. banking tools work. This is how relationship managers do things. They walked in with, why does it work? What? Sorry, you want me to do it that way? No, 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 no. You know, they came from a completely different background. 20-year-old guys who, un, who said, but I want to do it the way it makes sense, not the way it was done. And I think that's what really helped us. We don't have a roster full of uh, people who have done this before. At Bamboo, the vast majority of us have never built wealth tech. I mean, and when I say the vast majority, I'm saying close to all of us. And that's what we think works for us, right? Uh, most of our people have never worked because you don't know what you don't know what doesn't work. You don't know the industry, uh, the conventional wisdom that this you know, isn't the way to do it. I try to drown my voice out. I like talking too much, Craig. I need to learn to listen. But I try to let the guys who have never done it do it. Because you're right. Like it's a freedom. Like it sounds a bit cliched, but you know we've been lucky. We've built for almost 20 banks. Mm -hmm. You know some of the world's biggest. We got very lucky to meet Franklin. They invested in us. You know something must be going right. We have 70 people. We've raised 15 million dollars of funding. We've worked with people as disparate as Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank to Franklin to HSBC. You know, we must be doing something right. And I do think it's the fact, as crazy as it sounds, is that we didn't come this knowing exactly what we were doing. And we are perhaps doing it a little differently. And with it coming into it, not knowing what you're doing, you've been pretty successful. And uh, this has been a great episode, and I really appreciate you being on and telling us all this. And I, I could have gone another another hour or so, but I like to cut it off at around half hour. This is when people start dropping off. So I'm going to say goodbye, and, and thank you very much, Ned, for being on the program. No problem, Craig. Thank you for staying up at 9 p.m. at 9, and one day in the, in the new world at some point, I'd love to catch up with you in Singapore or New Jersey. Hey, it's Greg again. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ned Phillips. A couple of my takeaways, I really liked uh, talking to him about the startup uh, ecosystem, how his firm started up. That's some of the stories I love asking uh, founders about how they got started, what they were thinking when they started their firm. I really liked his little story about how he broke one of the cardinal rules of startups. Never do a startup with a founder you just met. And yet, he did it, broke the rule, and has been successful. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation about super apps in Asia. I'm really interested in those Alibaba, Tencent, Grab, Gojek, how, how they're expanding, how people are using them, uh, how they're, they really don't care about selling products. And they care about keeping customers inside their ecosystem, which is really the opposite of how financial advisors work. Uh, they're really focusing more on selling products or selling investments 
some investment advice rather than just keeping them in an ecosystem. Most advisory firms don't even have an ecosystem. I think that's something that's going to be changing soon. And finally, talking about how uh, harnessing AI, I really was interested in the Bamboo, uh, their, their dashboard. I think advisor dashboards are going to be a big thing, and the firms that have the best dashboards will uh, naturally attract more advisors to their platforms, and especially AI-powered dashboards that can provide instant talking points for both advisors and relationship managers and start uh, freeing them up for other tasks, giving more targeted advice to advisors to basically make them look smart in front of their clients. That's the, the technology that's going to be winning in the future. And uh, please remember to give us a five-star review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this on your social networks. I'd appreciate it. And we'll talk to you all again next time.